Welcome to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cinema nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I'm your host Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host Nick. Hello. Thank you for joining us again today for another conversation about some of our favorite films. Give us a follow on Twitter at Kinotomic if you like Halloween. Today is our third episode and our final episode in our Halloween series. And we're very happy, well, happy, maybe not the right word, to be talking about um, zombies. The undead. The undead, sorry. The undead, the living dead, the evil dead. Oops. Oops. (laughs) So uh, let's kick off with the first film on our list. Um, 1968 Night of the Living Dead, directed uh, by the great George A. Romero. Here is a quick synopsis. A ragtag group of Pennsylvanians barricade themselves in an old farmhouse to remain safe from a bloodthirsty, flesh-eating breed of monsters who are ravaging the east coast of the United States. So this is one of those films that every respecting film scholar should have seen, especially one who loves horror. And my co-host Nick hasn't seen it. Until now. So, what did you think of the film, Nick? I, um, does that mean that I am now a self-respecting film person now? I or? don't know. Do you respect yourself? You should respect yourself. <laughs> you should be a film sc- I mean, you are a film scholar. Um. So, yeah, I mean, there there is a reason behind me not really seeing this. So, I mean, of all of all the horrors, horror kind of subgenres... Like zombie movies are the kind of ones that freak me out the most. That I'm always like apprehensive about watching. Um okay. but there's just something about them, whether it's like, you know, the slow shambling kind or the you know, the fast fuckers that are, you know, utterly relentless. You know, either in, in video games, you know, playing I don't know, like the Dead Rising games or if you want to go all the way back to when I played uh, Resident Evil two on the PlayStation One and then and then Resident Evil 4 on the PlayStation 2, or uh, TV. So, I mean, I gave up on The Walking Dead after about five episodes um, because of shit writing and the fact that I don't like zombies. And and, and films, like, I mean, you know, the, the, one of the first horror films I remember watching as a teenager and was Shaun of the Dead, and the only reason I got kind of talked into watching that one was because it was a comedy um so like, i really just i just get really uneasy about zombies like don't get me wrong i can sit and watch a david cronenberg flick and just be fine you know i could watch a cronenberg yeah. film and be fine i could watch the texas chainsaw massacre on repeat and be fine um, no no that's wrong like, I'm but there's, sorry. There's some... how, how how could you justify watching texas chainsaw massacre okay on maybe, repeat? maybe not on repeat but like i could i could I could sit down and not be apprehensive about watching that film. Whereas with any kind of zombie film, I'm always like, I just, I get that sense of dread inside me. And, and I mean, I, I have, I have seen, I have seen like the first, 
15 minutes of the Dawn of the Dead remake and that really kind of messed me up a little bit and I just haven't got round to watching the rest of it. Um, I have seen the original Dawn of the Dead. Um, I can't remember why I watched it. I think I had to watch it for class, so I, that's why I watched it. Um, and that kind of unsettled me to the point where, you know, I've just been kind of too scared almost by the prospect of finally sitting down and watching this one. Um, as another reason why I haven't seen Day of the Dead even though I've heard that that film is really fucking good. Like, I just, it just kind of, I don't know, there's something just about it. Like, the only reason why I actually finally sat down and watched, you know, 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later was because of the whole pandemic global situation that was going on and I was feeling pretty oh. sad for myself. So I was like, so, fuck it, let's just So you've seen that. 28 Days Later just now, like this year? This year, yeah. Okay, okay. Um... Fair See what I mean? I haven't. I haven't seen. I haven't you seen World watch, War Z. Uh, World um, War Z. That's actually. I, I mean, I really enjoy that one. Um, I saw. I saw Train to Busan. Uh, late last or late last year. Um, and that you know that that was a really really good good film. Um, but again, like the zombie thing, like I kind of was really quite thing about it. Probably one of the best films I've ever seen about zombies with zombies in them is a film called One Cut of the Dead, um, a Japanese film. Um, which... I've yet to see that, and I really wanted to see it because uh, everyone's been raving. Yeah, about I'm it. not going to say anything about it other than the fact that it's one of the best films I've I've seen in a long time um, uh, by a guy called uh, Shin Shinichiro uh, Ueda. Uh, Shinichiro Ueda. Um, and that that film is is just in, in, insanely good. Um, I, I thoroughly thoroughly recommend it. Um, so, but there's even so like even with that film, like you know, I was apprehensive about watching it because it's zombies. But then sitting down and finally watching this, um, which I watched at about eleven o'clock in the morning with the windows open and the blinds open, the lights on. Um, it was, <laughs> it was honestly really quite cool seeing where all the tropes and the references, the jokes and the homages kind of originated from. And I know I've said that before on this podcast, but I probably mean it more now than any other film that we've done so far. Um, you know, like even, even Metropolis and, and, and last week's Nosferatu. Um, the zombies themselves, um, or, or ghouls, as I think they're kind of referred to at one point in the film, and I know in the script they were written as ghouls, not zombies. Um, I think they're probably more scary in black and white <laughs> um, than in colour. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, don't get me wrong, like when we're watching the film in colour, you know, it's always cool seeing the, the makeup of the extras when they're zombies and stuff, you know. You know, there's always something that's quite cool about that. But there's something about the black and white aesthetic that really adds much more texture, and especially in horror film, horror movies, um, you know, it really kind of adds to that moodiness. And and with not Living Dead, especially, it really, you know, really kind of gets to me a little bit. And then you know, from from the start of this film, with with Johnny and Barbara at the cemetery, and then the reveal of the zombies, or you know, that singular guy. Through to the you know the attack on the house, you know the introduction of Ben and and the people in the house. Um, 
and then to the last stand and and that kicker of an ending. Hmm. I think this was without doubt one of the best horror films I've ever seen. Um, it really kind of got to me a little bit. I this if there's anything if there's one thing worse than zombies that I dislike it's zombie children. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like I've got like I kind of don't like creepy children anyway. Yeah, um, I don't like children. Period. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, or cre- sorry, cre- creepy children. I think is 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 worse for me. I've got like yeah, creepy children. Um. And this, as as soon as I saw the girl on the table, I was like, "Yep, yeah, she's she's gonna turn and eat somebody." And I wasn't expecting her to grab the trowel and, and stab her mum in the head with it, which was quite. I mean, this film is surprisingly gory as well. I mean, I know it's yeah. nineteen sixty eight, so it's like it's like you've we've had Psycho at this point. Um, you yeah, know, but Psycho wasn't as gory. No, 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 no. But I mean, like. So, like, nineteen sixty-eight. What have we had at this point? Like, we've had like the Hammer horror films, you know. Yeah, but blood. those were really camp. I yes, mean. <laughs> I, I know. But I'm just, I'm just going with, I'm just going with. But we've, I think, what this film kind of does really well is that it it really straddles this line between fifties B movie and seventies allegorical horror. Yeah. Um, and it's a really, really interesting watch when I kind of was sat down afterwards, started thinking about the film a bit more properly, and kind of thought that I really liked the aesthetic of it at times was was very, very B movie horror, but there was this underlying thread um which kind of added more like text to it. Yeah. I try not to go into proper theme theory or trying to just I'm trying to just skirt around the edges a little bit. But and I think the direction of George Romero and the writing of the dialogue as well and the writing and the write the script writing as well, the way that the, the, the film is kind of plotted out and see the sequences and how they're done, it it's never kind of amateurish or um it's it doesn't feel like the B movie that it maybe it was... could have been, you know, like twenty ten years earlier. Yeah, if you think about it, it was his directorial debut as well. Was it? I thought The Crazies was his first film. I think it was his first... This was his first feature. I'm going to Google this. Let's have a look. I read it somewhere that it was... No, it is. No, sorry. I do tell a lie. It was his directorial debut. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah, Yeah, no, you are right. Yeah, sorry. Um... <laughs> so yeah, uh-huh. yeah. It, I, I, with that, even then, that I, I mean, that makes it even more impressive that I that this didn't feel like it. It was. It didn't feel kind of rough around the edges or anything. Um. So yeah, I mean, this this film is it is it is a fucking masterpiece. I mean. And it kind of has the best kicker of an ending that I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. It, yeah. I'm. I'm. I am really, really glad to kind of finally knock this off this list. Excellent. Um, but I. I don't think that I'm going to sit down and watch it again anytime soon. 
Um, I do. I really do want to watch the rest of these dead films, or at least kind of the George A. Romero stuff. Um, yeah. I do want to. I do really, really want to. But just... I mean, if it's not, if it's if it's making you uncomfortable, you shouldn't actually make yourself sit through it. If it's just really like you know, um, making you uncomfortable. Um, I'm I'm kind of like you in terms of seeing a lot of like detailed gore. Um, it makes me a, a bit queasy. Saying that it's just yeah. I mean that scene where you know the scene I'm talking about. I just had to sort of like look away for a few seconds. Yeah, there's <laughs> you know we see the image of the the woman while the dead person on the top of the stairs. And that face. I mean, I was really quite shocked to have seen that. Yeah. Um, Apparently, that was made up by George Romero and his production crew, and the eyes were golf balls. I mean, it was really, really effective. I mean... It was really effective, wasn't it? Um, yeah, and this film, I, I mean, I know, you know, it, it did... It was like a tiny budget. It was like a really, really tiny budget. I'm surely going to go into it. Maybe you're going to Yes, it. I am. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tiny budget. And then it did like amazing. Um, mm, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, this this film is, is really, really impressive. I'm glad you... I'm really glad that you, you got... We got to talk about it on, on the podcast that, and that you really enjoyed it. Um. Anything else you'd like to add? No, no, no. I get into no, I'd be, I'd be interested to know what you you got to say about it. Of course. So I first saw this film. Unfortunately, I saw this film um, when they commemorated George A. Romero's death in 2017. The Prince Charles Cinema had organized a impromptu special screening of um, Night of the Living Dead. At um at the British cinema, of course, and um we I I think it was yeah I I realized that that day that they were doing it so I just ran off after work, and we had there were, the the theater was packed, and it was incredible, and I went home and I was kind of I was in the bus at home, going home and I was like this is kind of scary, I was I still had the images of 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 the zombies in my head. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a masterpiece. It's a, it's a really really good film, and it kind of sort of started a new age of horror in America. There is a very good documentary about the history of horror called History of Horror. I think it was produced by the BBC um, and narrated and pre- presented by Mark Gatiss. I've seen that. You might have seen, you might have have seen, seen that. that. I have seen it that. It starts with it basically starts with like the beginning of horror and how it progresses through the ages and through the decades. And I think at one point because it's in three episodes and I think at one point it talks a bit about like how in the 40s and 50s it's kind of the the monsters have kind of died down and they've kind of been gone quiet because of the new age of technologies coming up and they had different kind of scary films. And then this, it kind of heralds the whole impact of independent filmmaking. And we we touched on it a bit when we talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how that became a cult classic, where it was one of the like really independent films that was done on a shoestring. And you did, yeah, so it was made 
for $114,000, which is now equivalent to $847,000 in 2020, and it grossed approximately $30 million, over 263 times its budget. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's... I mean, Quite we're ridiculous. Yeah, we're talking... We're talking like Halloween type numbers in terms of like Halloween and and Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity, yeah, like yeah. that kind of like was yeah. it return on investment? Like the the percentage. It's grows, ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. So yeah, and I think it's the first one, like the first proper independent film to have made some that much money at the box office. And I'll go into a bit more detail on that, but I just wanted to start with sort of. Focusing a bit on on the main character, so the character of Ben was wasn't originally written as as a as a person of color. Um, it it just happened that Dwayne Jones auditioned and he was the best actor that auditioned, and I think because they were on a budget they couldn't afford um big stars, and he just I think he was he was a theater actor. And he was initially written as a very angry person. And he, when he was given the role, Dwayne Jones expressed concern that the character be written to remove some of the anger, like the scenes where he hits Barbara, because he was afraid of how it would be perceived in the United States at the time. This was again during the civil unrest. And because like the nation was plagued with racial tensions and it was released in theatres shortly after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Of course, George Romero ignored him, um, and they thinking they were being hip by not changing it. And then years later, George Romero did did say that he, he felt sorry that he hadn't taken Jones's concerns more into consideration. And he, with hindsight, he thought that he was probably correct. So, yeah... Uh, another very interesting thing, the film was released shortly before the MPAA's rating system was implemented in the US. So the MPAA rating system marks the end of the production code officially, although the production code had been kind of ignored for the last decade or so, or even more than that. So. Basically, this was kind of like the, the grey zone between the production code and the MPAA. So as a result of this, children were able to see this very graphic horror film in theatres. <laughs> so imagine having a nine-year-old seeing this film. So I found a review by critic Roger Ebert, and he included in this his concern observation of the children watching with him. And basically being traumatized by an adult horror story that they were un- completely unprepared for. Um, I can share the, the whole review in the short show notes, but there's a quote that I found that I thought it was really interesting. And, and yeah, quote, I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. They were used to going to movies, sure, and they'd seen some horror movies before, sure, but this was something else. This was got ghouls eating people up and you could actually see what they were eating this was little girls killing their mothers this was being set on fire worst of all even the hero got killed end quote so it's 
it's weird to to have to have the the that idea of having children watch this terrible gruesome film i don't think people were ready for it like like we discussed with nosferatu uh before and yeah i don't think people were ready for this sort of level of horror and and like graphic description of people eating other people up imagine being being a young child and seeing that i don't think well you know I, I I certainly think that this was. I mean, this certainly does feel like the start, the like the first film of something different. If that makes any sense, because like horror films in the past and before this, and we're talking, we're either you know schlocky B movies which weren't scary at all, um, yeah, or they were the studio stuff, you know, or you know Hitchcock stuff like The Burbs or or, or Psycho. Um, or the Hammer Horror stuff, or I think Rosemary's Baby was that in the early sixties? Or late? I can't remember Rosemary's Baby. I think, came I think Rosemary's Baby was the same year, same but year. again, that's kind of studio. It was a studio more film, occult stuff. Yeah, Sorry? It's, it's a studio film though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like so it's, it's not like low budget kind of. You know, this is this is something new that we're going to throw at you. Because I think after this, you know, we ended up with, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, yeah. um, you know, then the, the 80s, like uh, the early 80s, we ended up with the first Evil Dead film, which is was, was an independent film. And then obviously in the 90s, you end up with, you know, Blair Witch Project. And I, th- I, th- I think this is, I don't know, yeah. I think it's like the kind of the start of something new, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Cool. So one of the, uh, yeah, so as an inspiration for this film, George A. Romero um, admitted that um, a film, Carnival of Souls, 1962, was a big influence in the making of this film. And he, he worked on this film with screenwriter John A. Russo. Who appears as a zombie who gets killed by Ben with a tire iron? Um, so yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you got to see it, and glad that we got to talk about it. Cool. Yeah. I would I would go into more detail about how this film was produced and how what the zombies were eating and how production details, but I don't want to spoil the fun of of seeing it. You know, I don't want people to have to think about oh. That was what you know. It, the secrets of the production. It just keeps it more eerie. I think you. I think you are right. Like, I without having to think about how, yeah. how things how things were shot and details of the production. It just keeps the scariness level, and I, I think that it should be left lower. I think yeah. I think you're. I think you're right. Like I think I tend to not do that with horror films anyway. I mean, most yeah. most horror films, with the exception of one that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but like, I think you know, like sci-fi films. I you know, I, I eat up for all that behind the scenes stuff. I'm like, yeah, give me more behind the scenes stuff. I need to know how they did this. Whereas with horror yeah. films, I'm like, I yeah, it's like don't like, need to know how that I was don't, shot exactly. I don't filmed. I don't no. need to know. No. Um, Maybe maybe with the exception of The Shining, but that's only because you know it's it's so blatantly a, a confessional piece of Kubrick saying he, la- he uh, filmed the moon landings. So 
you know. <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. I don't actually believe that. But, yeah. Anyway. Cool. Um, so we're moving on now um, to 1987's Evil Dead 2, directed by Sam Raimi, uh, starring uh, Bruce Campbell. I, I'm just going to say it's Bruce. It's just Bruce Campbell because it is Bruce Campbell's film. Um, <laughs> I finally get a, a Sam Raimi film onto the podcast. Um, the director of the Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man trilogy. Um, and yeah, Evil Dead. Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Uh, three of me and my brother's favourite films. So I've got a little bit of a synopsis. Uh, Ash Williams and his girlfriend Linda find a log cabin in the woods with a voice recording from an archaeologist who had recorded himself reciting ancient chants from the Book of the Dead. As they play the recording, an evil power is unleashed, taking over Linda's body. Um, it's kind of setting up the film, I think, quite nicely. <laughs> so... Um, I, I before I asked Danny's opinion, um, I got f- two reaction messages uh, when watching this. When she watched this, so I got originally I got um, this film is campier than a campsite <laughs> or tents or something. And um, I think I said it was campier than a row of tents. Row of tents, and then the other one was just I need to be drunk while watching this, and then the vomit emoji. Um, yeah. So, Danny, uh, how can <laughs> can you elaborate on all of that for me, please? Of course, I can. Of course, I can. So, um, I texted you half. I mean, almost halfway through, I had to pause it and have to text you because I did not expect this. I felt like I was tricked into watching a comedy when I was supposed to watch a horror film. So I expected something gory, which it, which this kind of was at times. But I did not expect something really, really, really funny, which this absolutely was. I laughed out loud several times. Um, I did not. I was caught off guard. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I was. I kind of expected the, the the halfway through laughs, but I didn't expect the first few laughs, and I did not expect how silly it was and really campy and sometimes surreal. Um, yeah, I I was insp- I was impressed with the uh, monster POV. I thought it was maybe a homage to Jaws, and here I can almost hear Orson Welles' indignation. I think you sent me a video of of the great Orson making the rounds on the internet, in which he sort of starts ranting about films, referencing other films, and how he hates it, and it just made me laugh. And another reference I found was, of course, the mirror scene, which made me think of Duck Soup. If you've not seen Duck Soup, I, I have to put it on the podcast. I have seen Duck Soup. <laughs> yeah, so I I really enjoyed it. It was really funny. The farewell to arms gag was absolutely <laughs> hysterical. I was just like, I had to stop it and just laugh for five minutes and then just <laughs> resume watching it. Um, I think there are supposed to be some scary scenes in there, which I would normally find scary, like an empty rocking chair that kind of starts moving by its own. But in this circumstance, I felt it was like too theatrical and 
too too silly and I mean no one would expect I just you didn't there was no credibility to the evil dead if that makes sense it was just too funny it felt like watching that chair I could hear it go oh hello I'm the evil dead um there was nothing eerie nothing scary about it I mean you have the hand that talks and whispers and just laughs at you um it felt a bit disappointing because I was expecting, like I said, I was expecting something scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, the time travel thing, you could kind of see it a mile away. As soon as you saw the pages on the on the book, it was silly. Um, it's Yeah, so I don't know if it would qualify as a Halloween film, but it's definitely a good comedy. And one final note uh, from me, um, which is kind of a sad note. I thought it was it was quite interesting how in in this film and both in uh, Night of the Living Dead there is the recurring motif of people despite facing a common enemy or evil power decide to fight each other instead at least for a bit it just I felt it really like ring true especially in this current climate and it's quite sad and to find out that the essence of the human nature is to be ugly with each other as soon as we become anxious and scared instead of trying to sort of work together and defeat whatever we need to defeat like the evil dead that was disgusting but yeah um i really enjoyed it thank you <laughs> yeah i mean i i deliberately didn't tell you anything about this apart from the fact that i wanted it on the halloween um okay. three that we were doing because the first film i do recommend the first film because it is a masterpiece in independent filmmaking in low budget filmmaking and it's proper gnarly as well um it was lumped in with the video nasty stuff that we had to deal with in the uk um it was i think it was one of those it was one of the films that was banned for a long time um Evil Dead, and the reason why I said to watch Evil Dead 2 um, is because I feel that we needed some, I, we needed, I needed to get this film on the podcast because it is so much more interesting to talk about in terms of it is so different to pretty much almost anything else that I can think of um, in, in this in this genre. Um, you wouldn't be surprised if I told you that Edgar Wright is heavily influenced by this film. No, I could see it. Yeah. Um, there is the visual movement of the camera is is insane at some points. There are shots in this which I mean, Sam Ra- Sam Raimi is just. I mean, it's 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 a travesty that he hasn't made a film in seven years. Um, the last film he made was uh, Oz the Great and Powerful um, and you know it's it's a travesty he hasn't made a horror film since 2009's Drag Me to Hell which was excellent. Oh I really love that film Yeah so and and also it's really. It was really scary Yeah it was really that's what I mean like it was really great seeing Drag Me to Hell in the cinema and thinking he's back he's back doing horror because you know he, he did the, 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 the Spider-Man films for three years and you know, is drag me, drag me to sorry. It's drag me to hell, the one with the uh, l- um, 
the monster, the llama, Lima, what was yeah, it? Yeah, the, the, the gypsy woman who curses um, Alison Lohman's uh, bank uh, bank person. I can't remember. Yeah, and there's, what's the, the name of the... the yeah, the, the goat thing. They have that sequence with the goat. I yeah. think I watched that and I, I dreamt of that monster afterwards. Wow. Yeah. I dre- I dreamt that the the Lamia Lamia, Lamia was yeah. coming to get me. Yeah, it's coming to get me. I it was at the door, you could see the shadow. Yeah. So it's one of those films that you kind of yeah, you have to either watch it in the morning or don't sleep alone because you the Lamia is going to get you. But I think that what dragged me to hell and what Evil Dead 2 do it really really well is show the real fine line between comedy horror melodrama and surrealism there's a real it's such a fine line that he kind of strap you know he's on this tightrope almost and if you veer too far off the wrong way it's not gonna work it's just gonna come across as a complete mess and some i know i know so there's I know that some people don't get on with this film at all. They just find it too weird. But if you get on board with it, which sounds like you did, then you're gonna have a good. You're gonna have a great time watching it. Um, the gore in it, I think the the, the amount of blood and the amount of kind of yeah torture that was a bit being, odd. yeah thrown at Ash and thrown at Bruce Campbell. Um, I mean, what's with the colours? You had blood, you had something black, and you had something green as well. Yeah, it's it's you know it uh. it it's like I said. I mean, this film is nowhere. It's not as like, like I said. I'm using the word gnarly to describe the first one because that's really the only way I can describe it. Um, whereas this film, it, it's kind of just like excessive it's excessiveness, and I think it 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 does work really really well. Um, like I said, the, the the shots in there, some of the camera shots are are, are amazing. The the POV shot of the, you know, the the evil coming through the woods. Um, yeah, that was really good. Is is so? I mean, he did it in the first one, um, and then you know he did it in the third in in Army of Darkness. And um, when you watch uh, Spider Man Two, um, when Doctor Octavius is unconscious and the the hospital sequence. Where the doctors, the surgeons, are cut, attempt to cut off his um, metallic arms. That scene, I, I don't, I don't know if, how long ago you saw Spider Man Two. I'll send you the, the the scene link. I'll put it in the in the show notes as well, actually. But you watch that sequence with the the arms coming through. That is an evil. That is a scene literally straight out of Evil Dead, and he stuck it in a freaking Spider Man movie for you know the mass <laughs> the masses to watch. And it, it, I, it, there's something about Sam Raimi's style of filmmaking which I, very few filmmakers can even come close to matching in terms of the sheer inventiveness of it at, a, at this kind of scale. Edgar Wright being, I think, perhaps the exception. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, in this film, there's a, there's like a Three Stooges influence. You've got this, the Marx Brothers in there. There's... <laughs> I mean the way that Ash throws himself across the floor there's the great sequence with the hand the possessed hand yeah, where he knocks great. the hand knocks him unconscious it sees the knife the butcher's knife and then claws its way 
across the across the floorboards and it's like this incredible bit of physical comedy um and it it's just it's actually really really impressive um Bruce Campbell really should have been a bigger name than he ended up being he's always been the king of B movies um with his amazing chin <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it, there's something there's something about this film and the whole series as well that's kind of just created a cult around it um i w- i'm going to ask you like will you end up watching the first one if i probably if I'm, yeah probably um, yeah probably i would also he's in the first one too sorry he is yeah ash is in the first one um, okay yeah i probably will because i really enjoyed it i mean at first i thought his performance was a bit too camp yeah and too ridiculous and too I don't know, outrageous and hammy. Um, but it just kind of, yeah, he grew, he, I kind of, yeah. I think. I kind of started liking him. Especially after the, after he gets the, tech, the chainsaw yes. on his arm. You yes. kind of go like, okay, yeah, you're a bit badass now. And we it's get that, um, we get that amazing tool up sequence of just the <laughs> quick shots of the, it coming yeah, all together. Yeah, yeah, the montage of yeah, it's so it, good it's being assembled. It's really, really good. Um, and then you and yeah, so then like the time travel thing at the end. Like, do you think you're going to end up wanting to watch Army of Darkness? Probably not. To no, be <laughs> I don't I, know. I do recommend the third one. Um, okay. The great thing about these Evil Dead films is they're all about ninety minutes long. <laughs> they're not long films. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think like like with uh, Night of the Living Dead, I think there was a lot of cutting involved. Yeah, in th- in in because I think Night of the Living Dead is kind of the same sort of length. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, the the, the basic the five first five minutes of this film is pretty much just the basic plot of the first film, and that's because that they couldn't actually get the rights. For the first film to make it a true sequel, um, so they had to basically redo the first film in the first five minutes. Um, so there's the shot where he whacks, so he whacks Linda's head off with the shovel. Um, that shot mm-hmm. is literally straight; is literally a shot-for-shot copy of something that happens in the first film. And then, um, right. the, yeah, there's a sequel. There's a bit in the first film where it ends. Where if you play this film at the right moment, it's literally just then a carried on kind of sequel. Um, they, when they shot Army of Darkness, they couldn't get the rights for Evil Dead 2. So they had to kind of do a recap of new footage <laughs> to kind of um, basically wow. carry on the story. Um, so what happened was with this one... Um, after the Evil Dead, the first one, uh, Sam Raimi uh, with the Coen brothers did a film called Crime Wave, um, which bombed uh, bombed completely. Um, it is also because of the Evil Dead and the way that Sam Raimi shot the Evil Dead and he uh, was editing it because he originally shot a short film called Within the Woods, which helped get funding for the, the, the main feature film. And then he ended up editing the film 
um, the Coen brothers were in fact in the editing studio with him um, and they liked that idea so that's when they did for Blood Simple is they did a short film for Blood Simple to sell to basically the you know people to get funding for the main feature film so it's basically Sam Raimi is responsible for the Coen brothers getting started um, wow. uh, Crime Wave was also was also written by the Coen brothers um, and up until 2009's Gambit because of the failure because of the box office failure the Coen brothers ended up directing every single one of the scripts that they ended up writing except up until uh, 2009's Gambit which from what I could hear was, was terrible um, so maybe that's something to be said is always let the Coen brothers direct their own films um this film so what happened was was evil dead the first one uh stephen king uh brought this film the first film to the producer dino dorilentis um who they those two worked together on stephen king's uh directorial debut maximum overdrive um and dorilentis agreed to do you know put financial backing into the film um, gave uh, Sam Raimi more of a larger budget than the one that worked on the original film. Um, and then Sam Raimi basically did this film and then deliberately left off, stopped off at the the, 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 the the bit at the end, the cliffhanger at the ending, because he was like, well, I really want to tell that part of the story, but if you want to know what happens next, you're going to have to fund me for a third film, uh, which is quite a, quite a quite a cool way of doing that. Um, bit of like behind the scenes thing. The first film was, you know, I spoke about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being hard on the actors. Well, The Evil Dead made that look like a summer camp. It, um, some of the stories that come out of that first one are quite, I, you would not be able to get away with that. Um, in this film, it's better because of the the experience that uh, Raimi had on on working on. The two films he had previously um the only real big thing was uh uh henrietta uh so ted raimi who is sam raimi's brother um was in that costume playing henrietta uh in the wow. cellar and he became was so overheated um of course. in that thing that it kind of was just filling up with sweat um, so much so that they had to kind of drain it out of the out of the suit, um, and you can kind of see it kind of at one point coming out of the ear. Um, but, yeah. So I didn't look straight at it. I didn't look directly at at, at it. It uh-huh. was like the eclipse. You could kind of see it. Yeah. But don't don't look straight at it. Um, you this... look everywhere else but at it. Yeah. This film, like I said, is is very much like a cult film. Um, Entertainment Weekly put it number 19 on their top 50 cult films. Um, Sight and Sound put this film at number 34 on their 50 funniest films of all time. Um, And in 2008, uh, Empire Magazine put Evil Dead 2 on their list of the 500 greatest movies of all time, um, ranked number 49 um in out of 500 obviously that's empire magazine so obviously a bit more populist than something like sight and sound but i mean 49 for this film is is pretty high ranking really um so yeah i mean i wouldn't go as far as that but i get it i do get it yeah 
I was I was really apprehensive about getting you to watch this. I thought we were going to end up with another Tokyo Tribes thing going on. Um, because of how different this film is and how kind of out there and like I said, I didn't... It's not as far as Tokyo Tribe. I mean, uh, please, let's not talk about Tokyo Tribe anymore. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm really happy to have kind of got Evil Dead 2 on this list um, on this podcast. It's... Uh, it's a favourite of mine and my brother's. My brother loves Army of Darkness more. Um, there's a really um, fantastic uh, Jason and the Argonauts uh, homage in that film. Um, and then I kind of... I, I rewatched The Evil Dead in the preparation for this one and was really taken aback about how proper horror that film is and how kind of amazed that I sat and watched that at the age of 16 and didn't find anything wrong with it uh, so yeah no Evil Dead 2 is is truly something special and I'm really happy that you've you've liked it and we've gotten a chance to talk about it oh so before we kind of wrap up um I just want to finish off our Halloween three episodes trilogy I suppose um with just kind of talking in general terms or giving you listeners what our like scariest moments or um, like scariest films that we had seen or um, moments that really kind of shook us that made us meant that we weren't able to get to sleep because um, I thought it'd just be quite interesting um, for us to kind of reveal that to everybody. Um, so, Danny, um, I asked you earlier on today to kind of go away and think about it. I'd, I'd be interested to know what you've come up with. Okay, so I think it was still this one moment that was still years after watching it for the first time will still stay with me, and I would always think of it. It will always be like the first thing I can think of when asked this question, like what's the scariest moment on on cinema, and it's the moment in Psycho where you see Norman dressed as his mother coming down. Sorry, sorry, listeners, spoiler alert. Yeah, <laughs> spoiler um, alert for a fifty-year-old film. <laughs> um, um, I think it's a sixty-year-old. Well, sixty-year-old film, even better. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's that moment where you kind of see his face and you can see the wig on him and him holding the knife and that, that face on him before he, before someone, I think it's the, it's the boyfriend of, of Marion Crane that comes from behind and takes his knife away and then that his face gets distorted in, in madness and it's just, it, it's so scary. I think that's one of the, the scariest things I've ever seen. That's, yeah, that's a pretty pretty good choice. Um, I, I think, just it, it's uh, yeah, it's just it's so eerie. Yeah, I think for me, like, I mean, I I I I have said this uh, to Danny in the past um, that the film that really that messed me up as a kid. And I haven't been able to watch it since because I got nightmares. It was Hocus Pocus. Um, I oh yes. I still can't watch that. Um, <laughs> but I'm not classifying that for this this thing. So I think, I think the film that really 
shook me was uh, Hereditary by Ari Aster. I still haven't seen that one. So I'm not going to go off. I'm not going to go into spoilers. Um, but for people okay. that have seen Hereditary, will know what I'm talking about. When there are two moments in particular that one of which comes out of fucking nowhere, and the other one is as somebody who kind of doesn't like suspenseful moments in films. So I like tension building. Um, Hereditary is what it does. Is it just turns the screw and turns and just keeps turning it and doesn't let go it doesn't allow me as a viewer to let uh, to have a release to have a moment of you know a scream or a jump or something um you know the the, the classic example is jaws about how that film kind of cranks up the tension and then has a moment of release and then cranks up the tension even more and then has a moment of release the most famous bit being the the head underneath the, the in the boat underneath the water, um, yeah, which is one of the greatest cat scares of all time. Um, True. So I, th- I think I think Hereditary is probably the one that really gets to me. Um, okay. I still haven't rewatched it. I've watched it once, and I don't think I can watch it again, um, especially not alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think I think maybe the other moment is is there a moment in uh, Takeshi Miike's audition, uh, which is a mm. film I want to get on this podcast. Um, okay. There is a moment in that film which comes out of nowhere, which really startled me. Um, so yeah, that's probably what I'm going to go with. That... I've just realised that another moment or moments is for me. Is would always be every time Bob comes on in Twin Peaks. Wow. Okay. It's again every time I see Bob, I freeze. If you've have you seen Twin Peaks? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've seen every episode in the film and stuff. Yeah. Oh my god! Do you not find Bob scary? I I think he's I think he he's I think I'm like a bit like David Lynch. I find his Image. He's fascinatingly scary. Yeah, he's 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 got this face, hasn't he? And obviously, you know, oh it's my God. very famously an accident that he's there in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I know the story behind it, but I still I still think that moment when he when the mother Laura's mother first sees him at the foot of the bed, it will still be the scariest moment I've ever seen. Because it's one of those things that it could happen to you. You can be in bed doing something, and you can you see a man at the foot of the bed. That could happen. But I think I think the the Lynch moment that is if it's if we're gonna have any Lynch moment on this, it's gonna have the to dream. be. It's gonna have to be from Mulholland Drive. The dream and the Winky scene, the Winky's diner scene in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. The one um, with the with the, the yeah, yeah that, that. <laughs> well yeah I know I um, know so that yeah I mean if we're gonna yeah if we're gonna go with any Lynch scene I mean but that's it's gonna that's surreal that's dreamlike that's not really scary it's just like yeah it's a, it's a it's a jump scare but it's not as scary as just a man being where not where he's not supposed to be yeah that's just for me because it's like. It, it it could happen. That's something that I could be, you know, someone coming into your house and, and you know, scaring you. 
it's a it's it's more plausible than seeing a, a gorilla masked some fat behind a diner. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I mean, I think I think I think like there there are some really, I think there are some really, um, par- like really really good kind of scenes in the season three, uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, that kind of match Bob. Um, okay. I've, I've not opinion. seen that. I've to- I was told that it wasn't as good, so I just kind of didn't watch it. What? Somebody told you that The Return wasn't very good? Yeah. Well, Sight and Sound put it their number one film of the year in 2017. Like, okay. I mean, honest, I, if you, I can't believe you haven't seen The Return. Watch The Return. I, 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 yeah, I think everybody here on the podcast who's listening who has seen that series is probably screaming along with me. So yes, please watch the return. Mm. Um yeah, no, I that's really, really good. It's a really good point. Bob is a good one. Bob is a very good one. Oh. Um so yeah, with I mean with cool. all that, I mean that's not what, done. What have you got on yeah, so what have you got on for next week? So we're changing things up again. Uh like I said last episode, we're kind of doing these themed block of episodes. Um, we are moving into I think Danny's favorite, second favorite uh, time of year, um, possibly, which is November. Yay, November. November. I'll, I'll try not to talk about Humphrey Bogart all the time. <laughs> well, you won't. You won't get a chance uh, next week because uh, next week we're going to be watching. I think it's the perfect film to kind of bridge the gap between the Halloween and the noir. Um, which is uh, 1955's The Night of the Hunter by Charles oh. Lorden. And we are going to be watching that with uh, Memories of Murder from 2003 by South Korean director Bong Joon-ho. Um, Best Director Academy Award winner Bong Joon-ho, which feels really Ooh. good for saying. Of, of Bong Joon-ho fame now. Yeah. You can't, you can't tell me you, you saw Parasite and was like, this is a masterpiece. Of course I saw Parasite. And you you thought it was a masterpiece? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, I, I, I think Memories of Memories of Murder is, is excellent, but we'll get into that next week. So that's Noir. Join us, join us for all, all things film noir next week. Um, like Danny said earlier... Uh, drop us an email on kinotomic at gmail.com um, please let us know I mean about your scare like most mo- like the the moment that's really kind of scared you in a, in a, in a, when you're watching a film or TV series um, for that matter um, and then follow us on Twitter at Kinotomic um, Danny where can we find you on the internet you can find me on Twitter at Kinojone and my website is kinojone.co.uk and you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler, and my website is supertomavision.com. Um, so with all that in mind, it's a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. And a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me. 